What's up, Jordan? All right. Every once in a while, we have to admit when we're wrong. And it was pointed out to us after our last episode when we went through some of the candidates that we believe were the front runners for the Major League Baseball MVP awards on both sides, National League and American League. Uh, it was none other than State Senator from Maui, Gil Keith Agaron, who pointed out to us that we had left off of our list of NL candidates, one Brandon Crawford, who at 34 years of age had his best season statistically in his career, didn't quite have some of the offensive numbers of a Fernando Tatis, but defensively, he's a gold glover, flashed it certainly in the divisional series against the Dodgers, and we'll get to that series and the way it ended in just a little bit, but this is our chance to give a shout out. He is a hardcore Giants fan, and uh, he let us know on social media in uh, not-so-mixed words uh, that we done messed up on that one. It is it is probably important to mention the arguably the best player on the best team in baseball, right? The team with the best record. Um, but if I may rebut, <laughs> in most betting circles, most of the major sports books, Brandon Crawford was somewhere between like ninth or eleventh best favorite to win the award, and so that is where I rest my case. <laughs> it's, if if you were wagering on this, he wasn't anywhere close. And maybe the books have it all wrong and he's going to get the writer's votes. But uh, that's that's kind of where I, I yield the floor. It's like, oh. man, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us. The book said, if that's, you know, where you want to look, maybe to follow some trends. Crawford really wasn't that high up on the list. I, I love it. That, that shows a distinct difference in our philosophies, whereas I absolutely buckle under the pressure of this state senator's <laughs> criticism towards us and pander to him uh, in response. You're like, no, no, I'm doubling down. I'm pushing back on that. The one thing we do know about these MVP award voting rules is that there are no rules. So it can end up going sure. any which way. It doesn't have to be a player from a good team. <laughs> it can be a player from a bad team. Like who knows where it's going to go. Uh, you have a lot of romanticized types of, of votes as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think at the very least, uh, I can admit we should have at least mentioned Brandon Crawford. I wouldn't have suggested that he win the award, but probably it was a bit of an oversight on our part uh, to not mention that name so all right we got you we got you Gil hopefully uh, we're all square here but we will talk about how that series ended so he might get mad at us again here in a little bit but we start off with our game time and our opening topic this was big piece of news here this week on the local football front uh, AJ Bianco quarterback for St. Louis school commits to the University of Hawaii this is a guy who is uh, pretty prototypical in terms of his quarterback size he's a guy who stands in the pocket has a pretty big arm can physically run the football he isn't necessarily that really true dual threat elusive type of runner but the guy can get it done he can extend plays uh, and so he commits to the University of Hawaii and follows in the footsteps of another former St. Louis Crusader in Shevin Cordero who is currently with the team my question to you is obviously Shevin's only a sophomore himself who knows what the future holds here they have a freshman quarterback in Braden Shager who is is also in the mix and we saw him perform well a couple weeks back against Fresno State uh, but AJ Bianco regardless of of what his career projects to uh, how significant of a signing or how significant of a commitment is this from UH football standpoint it's really big um this this is arguably the biggest get for Todd Graham I, I think here in his first couple of years and I know there's some guys right he, he's bringing in some pretty highly touted transfers some pretty highly touted junior college guys um, you know, he's getting a linebacker from Snow College uh, in Utah that just gave his verbal commitment. Um, but just outside of what the, the pure ratings say, right? I mean, A.J. Bianco is the latest in the line of St. Louis quarterbacks. And, and he is, by most accounts, I think 24-7 has him like the fifth or sixth highest recruit in the state. Uh, some of the other publications have him right around there. Um, you know, Tevaro Tafiti, the, the outside linebacker defensive end from Punahou, is the consensus number one guy there uh, in the class of 2022 he's committed to Stanford but what, what Bianco brings is a guy who's got a really high ceiling and and he's a guy who hasn't played a ton of football right and and he has the potential to be really really good and so just bringing him on for that standpoint is huge but to get a kid a local kid right that is going to be something that is going to be huge for Todd Graham and his crew in terms of making headway in terms of local recruiting and he's gotten three guys from this St. Louis class, three of the top 10 guys in the state, basically with Kona Moore, the corner 
uh, safety defensive back and, and then Ethan Spencer, their, their center at St. Louis. And so if he's getting, you know, 30, 40% of the top 10 of, of a recruiting class, that may not seem like a lot, but when the other guys are going to Stanford, Bama, Wisconsin, you know, some of the power five schools, that's big. That is huge. Um, and so look, if you're getting the highest rated quarterback out of Hawaii, that's a big deal. If you're getting the St. Louis quarterback out of Hawaii, like history just tells us that is huge. That is massive because that guy's got a, obviously a huge skill set, likely can contribute to your team. And then it just cre- keeps this momentum building, right? Where you can say, Hey, look, some of these local kids, some of the top local kids want to stay home. They want to play for the program. And look, quite honestly, if you're getting St. Louis kids, you're getting good talent, right? There, there's no denying that. That's that's not sort of just, you know, blowing smoke St. Louis's way. That's just the reality. They produce Division One caliber talent in droves. And so if you keep that relationship going, you keep those guys coming in from Kalaipahaku. I mean, every, every aspect of what you want to do in recruiting caliber, pure talent, um, you know, momentum, profile, local kit, like it checks every box. It really does. Um, and who knows if he's, you know, the next Timmy Chang or if he's the next Chevin Cordero or, or the next, you know, St. Louis guy to do it at the helm as, as UH quarterback. But it is it is significant, no doubt about that. I think it's easy to believe in the track record, right? I mean, the proof is in the pudding that all of these St. Louis QBs have gone on to contribute in some form and most of the time pretty positively at the FBS level. I mean, you look at what Jaden Delora is now starting to do for Washington State. And, of course, Chevin Cordero, his exploits at UH are, are well documented. And then, you know, before that, we're talking about Marcus Mariota and Tuatonga Vailoa and some of these guys. And so, yeah, I think it's easy to believe in that lineage. Uh, and so just on that level alone, it's a significant signing it is newsworthy but I agree with you I think beyond what he projects towards beyond what is portended for his career whether or not he becomes a starting quarterback at UH or has this illustrious career it just looks good it it just looks good reputation wise Uh, it just makes a splash on the local scene it gives or potentially encourages other local recruits to consider the University of Hawaii. It may further incentivize them to keep Hawaii among their list of of finalists as far as as their uh, FBS college football decisions. And so, yeah, I think from that standpoint, it's just a good look for the program. You know, who knows what that necessarily does uh, for Todd Graham and company uh, when it comes to the next cycle of recruiting. Now, this week, Hawaii is going to try to make another name for itself. On the road, very tough opponent from the Mountain West. You have Nevada in Reno here this weekend. Uh, If you're Todd Graham, you have both a healthy Chevin Cordero and a healthy Braden Shager. What do you consider doing? Who do you lean towards? Uh, Todd Graham has proven to be a master at being very secretive about what is going on personnel-wise within his program leading up to games. So before we get into the exact matchup with Nevada, uh, I wanted to ask you, if you are Todd Graham, which way are you leaning if both of those quarterbacks, based on what you saw from Braden Shager against Fresno State and what we have seen from Chevin Cordero here this year, if both of them are healthy and good to go, which way do you lean? Yeah, I still think it's Chevin. I, I think what Cordero brings is, is a little bit more of a multifaceted skill set. And, and this, this is no knock on Braden Shager. I think the guy's got a really bright future, and, and we saw that in flashes against Fresno State. Um, and, and he is mobile within the pocket. He has a good arm. Uh, you know, obviously you'd, you'd like to see the accuracy a little more dialed in, but I think that that had a lot to do with the, a, tr- uh, a freshman making his first ever collegiate start uh, a couple of weeks ago. But what Chevin brings is a legit threat in the running game. Uh, and I think anytime you can add that element to your offense and have that be a consistent threat in your offense, it just opens everything up, especially for an offense that we have talked about this multiple times is emphasizing running the football. Like it all starts with the rushing attack for this team. Um, and I don't know, again, Shager has shown a good athleticism, particularly moving within the pocket, extending plays. Um, and I don't know if it was by direction or just because they don't quite see him being able to do it, but he was not a run threat at any point, right? On those zone reads, on those inside runs, he was not a threat to keep it and pull it out the backside like we have seen Chevin Cordero do on some of those, you know, pretty staple run plays. And again, I, I, that may have been by direction. It's like, hey, look, we, we're, we're already down one quarterback. We don't want our next guy getting hurt or something like that. 
Um, so that may be a little unfair to Shager, but we've seen it from Shevin, right? We have seen it from Cordero time and time again. Um, and I don't think there is any drop off or anything like that in terms of throwing the football between the two guys. So, yeah, I think for a guy who has the experience of Shevin Cordero that has the multifaceted skill set where he can hurt you with his arm and his legs, um, I still think that's your guy, right? I, I still think that's your guy. Now, the, the flip side of that is Shevin Cordero, albeit in a previous coaching staff, He's kind of used to having the, the quarterback shuffle a little bit. And I don't know if that's in the cards at all for Bull Graham in this offense, but he's a guy who's shown that he's able to kind of roll with that if, if necessary. Um, and, and we know that he hasn't necessarily, he's played better at home than he has on the road. Historically, Chevin Carter, I should say that it might be cold. It might be wet up in Reno. Who knows? Right. And so having both of them available, great. Uh, but I'm still going with with Cordero as QB one to, to to get things started. And if you need to make a change, you need to make a change. But I, I still think Cordero is the guy who gives you the best opportunity to win football games. Yeah, if I were making the the calls here, and of course we are not, it is Todd Graham and that coaching staff. But if I were, I would always lean towards the veteranship. You know, if all things are sort of even, uh, we don't know fully where the health status is of Chevin Cordero. It was an undisclosed injury that kept him out against Fresno State a couple of weeks back. We are not fully aware as to what his progress is coming back from that. Uh, Braden Shager uh, obviously showed that he can get the ball out quickly, and that is a major component in this Todd Graham type of offense, right? Coordinated and called by his son, Bo Graham. They want the quarterback to get it out quickly. And I think that's the one criticism you can have of Shevin is at times it seems as though he's held on to the ball a little bit longer than what the offensive scheme calls for. Remember, this is a change and a transition for him. He basically was raised in the run and shoot and, and the pure run and shoot principles. And I think in this, what has been called a run and gun, but what is really more of like a spread pro style offense, uh, some of the pre-snap reads, some of the progressions, uh, some of what you read off of, it's actually different. And so I think we've seen that adjustment from Shevin, but you're absolutely right. I think when it is clicking for him, when he is comfortable, and then you throw in the ability to really run uh, convincing uh, RPO and zone read type action, uh, I think that's when this offense can be at its best. So when you think about the, the ceiling uh, and how high this offense can go, in my opinion, is when Chevin Cordero is comfortable, comfortable enough in the reads that he's getting the ball out quickly and then has that threat to run. So uh, yeah, I, I would lean with A, the veteranship, and and also just the fact that I, I think Shevin, when he's right, when he's comfy, uh, gosh darn it, he's really good. Now, Nevada is also really good. They have a quarterback who many are speculating may be the number one draft pick uh, in the upcoming NFL draft. That's Carson Strong. They have a receiver in Romeo Dubs, who is also a pro potential type of guy. Nevada is favored at home here by 14 points at last look. What kind of chance are you giving the Bows here this week on the road? You mentioned the conditions could be around 40 degrees, could be wet. Who knows? Uh, what kind of chance are you giving uh, Hawaii here in this one? Yeah, of course, last time it was like that, what, 2019 Hawaii went up there and just rolled them. Carson Strong, maybe a little more developed than he was back then uh, in terms of a, of a prospect. I didn't give Hawaii a huge chance against Fresno State. And what they do, they went out and, and kind of shocked everybody, right, and, and defeated the nationally ranked at the time. Bulldogs, I, I kind of feel similarly about the trip to Reno in part because it's, it's, it's a road trip and it's going to be tough for this group. Carson Strong is really good. Um, you know, Jake Hayner is, is really good and, and strong is, is better. Like he, he is in, in this week, just this past week in mock drafts, um, CBS had him going like eighth um, and 24, seven sports had him going 12th or maybe I have that flipped, but basically he's a top 15 pick by a lot of mock drafters right now. Um, and either like the second or third quarterback taken. Like that's how high he is regarded right now. I mean, we're talking Josh Allen type stuff when it come in, comes to quarterbacks out in the Mountain West. Um, and I got to give a little shout out. His high school coach at Will C. Wood High School in Vacaville, California is actually my cousin's husband, uh, Carlos Moraz. Uh, so shout out to Carlos. Uh, nice. I know him really well. Uh, always love talking football with him. Yeah, he, he mentored this guy and, and he's gone to a bunch of games, went to the Cal game they won. Um, Reno is balanced. Um, they, they don't necessarily run the ball for a ton of yardage, but they really spread the ball out. They've got like six guys that have somewhere between like 13 and 22 catches, a number of guys who have touchdowns strong, really spreads the ball around. It all starts and stops with him. No doubt about that. 
Um, they've got some veterans, uh, towel, the running back seems like he's another one of those Nevada backs who has been there for 19 years. Um, it, they, they're just really balanced. I think in terms of how many weapons they have, it's going to be really tough to slow them down. And I think it's going to be another performance where Hawaii has to take the football away. Like that, that's gotta be the MO and they're, they've shown that, right. They're like top 20 in the country in terms of takeaways. So it, it's doable, no doubt about it. Um, but a, a two touchdown underdog in Hawaii, Maybe a little strong, but I, I think somewhere around 10 would have been fair. Like, I, I think a double-digit point spread in terms of this one it, it isn't egregious or anything like that. It'll take another big-time effort, um, but we're going to have to see another performance where they run the football and they take the football away on defense. Like, they, that's that's kind of the recipe for this group to have success against the upper echelon teams in the Mountain West. And we've seen Hawaii trending in the right direction on defense for sure, right, and starting to define itself as being a team that can get some pressure on the quarterback, and that is a difference maker. That That's sort of the always at the heart of the Todd Graham defensive scheme and what has led to success at different programs. And it seems like Hawaii has put some of that together. Coming off of a bye week helps. It's a lot more comfortable to suggest that Hawaii might be able to cover this spread as opposed to maybe winning outright. Nevada's really good, as you mentioned. They beat Cal on the road. They beat Boise State on the road. You look at the common opponent, it's New Mexico State, and, you know, Hawaii won big against them in New Mexico State. Nevada beat them, what, 55-28 uh, at home or something like that, and so, you know, it, it all of the statistics would lead you to believe that this is going to be a gargantuan challenge here for Hawaii uh, and a very tough one to overcome, and I think that's the truth. That That's, that's what it will be, uh, but I do like the fact that Hawaii is coming off of a bye week. I think that works potentially to their advantage. Can they put it together on the road we've talked about Chevin Cordero's comfort at home versus on the road I think that probably goes for a lot of the players across the board uh, get some early success some early plays maybe leading to some confidence uh, that's what it's going to take I think here to upend Nevada all right, and so Hawaii on the road, which means that they will be playing in front of some fans. The good news is when Hawaii plays at home next in what will be the Hanahoe round two battle with New Mexico State on October 23rd, there will be fans at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex. Per a recent announcement by Governor David Ige, there is an, a lessening of restrictions, uh, and that will allow UH to bring in up to 1,000 vaccinated spectators, uh, also 150 spectators are expected to be allowed at the next round of rainbow wahine volleyball home matches this weekend that's not going to happen and that's kind of unfortunate Hawaii going up against at the time of this recording cal poly their arch rival basically in the big west conference tonight they could use a little fan support certainly for that one uh, but you also have the oia which announced a system where vaccinated spectators are going to be able to attend those events as well so this is a start it's not perfect we're not seeing 70 to 100,000 people in uh, venues like we are across the continent but how much of an impact do you think this could have on the athletes at these games i'm talking uh i'm talking high school students just the atmosphere overall a thousand at clarence tc ching athletic complex uh isn't gonna feel like nine thousand, which would be the max but it'll feel like something so what kind of impact do you anticipate that having i think it'll be huge I, I, these guys have, have been playing in front of empty crowds for a while now, right? Whether it's football or it's volleyball, Rainbow Wahine volleyball, or the, the high school kids who a lot of them haven't even been playing high school games <laughs> at all. And so even if it's a minimal amount of fans, even if it's just a thousand at Ching Complex, like having family members there, having some folks that are just going to make noise, <laughs> right? We saw even the difference of having nobody there for the first home game and then having the band and then like the cheer squad and, and the dance squad there for the, the next couple of home games. Like it, it made a difference. You can pipe in all the artificial sound you want, but there is, there is something organic of just having people in attendance that are yelling unpredictable things, that are supporting you, that are cheering when good things happen, as opposed to like you having to create the own energy when, when good plays happen or, or, you know, letting the officials have it when a bad play, like all of these things are just the organic sounds of sports. And even if it's 150 people, one, you're going to hear everything they say mm -hmm. and you might be able to point exactly to whoever was yelling that <laughs> good or bad. Um, but it, it's just, it just buoys the energy, the spirits, like everything about it. And so you know, from going from nothing to just the, even if it's a little bit of something can make a huge difference. And I think it will, you know, especially for the football squad, especially for Rainbow Wahine volleyball, right? Again, it's, it's weird with the piped in sound. Like it was cool when everybody was, well, not, I shouldn't say cool. 
it was doable when everybody was doing it. But now that you're the only ones doing it because everybody else has fans, it just kind of seems a little tiresome, right? And and you can you can maybe turn that volume up higher than you can 150 people in 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 stand share for whatever you know and in, in, in upset guys like well what's the long beach state coach's name snipes what is his name uh the, the the men's volleyball coach who got all worked up about the piped in sound um you know so so maybe maybe the visiting coaches won't be as angry because 150 people can't be quite as loud as rich sheriff can pump up the volume uh on the overhead but yeah it's it i think it's gonna be huge like it, it's just there's nothing to re- there's nothing like it there's no substitute and having live warm bodies in the building to cheer you on and root against the other team and support you when you do something good. And, and, you know, even, even some of the, you know, maybe negativity with a a bad play or a bad call, like all of that, just, you can't replace it. And even if it's just a fraction, it's a huge first step. Yeah. You were uh, referencing Alan Knight. Uh, Yeah. That was pretty funny. Uh, The pumping up or the spiking of the volume, Uh, not just the spiking of the volleyball, the spiking of the volume that, that played heavily into the Hawaii Long Beach State matchup. Yeah. You know, I I also think from this vantage point, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's not optimal. You'd love to have a sellout crowd in the SSC. You'd love to have a sellout crowd at that on-campus football stadium as well. But I also think it might be kind of for the time being a pretty cool experience for the spectators, family, friends, some of the students who are going to be able to go. Right. And I think there's going to be a select number of season ticket holders who have access, obviously boosters will be able to attend those football games. Uh, And I think it's going to, create this kind of really like intimate type of experience where they're going to be able to hear more of what happens on the field right we've kind of experienced that as announcers being at matches and you know being able to hear some of what Robin Amo is suggesting to her players in sometimes pretty animated fashion fans are going to be able to hear and consume some of this stuff too and it's, it's going to almost create like this this intimate like theater type of atmosphere potentially and experience for the fans so I think, you know, it goes both ways. It'll, it'll obviously be better for the players and the athletes, especially coming from nothing. The juxtaposition of going from nobody to having a semblance of a crowd, that's going to be massive. Uh, but I think even for the fans or the spectators that are able to go, and it will be selective here in the early goings, hopefully we can see it grow as the athletic year plays out. But I think it's going to be kind of a cool experience for them while it is in this form. All right, with that, we switch over to a brand new segment we're introducing here. No guests this week on the podcast, uh, but we do have a segment that we want to introduce, which is called What the Bleep. And basically, there's a lot of stories swirling around the sports world outside of Hawaii's borders, so to speak, uh, that are worthy of mention, uh, but a lot of them that are also just like head scratching. Let's go with our first one. That is John Gruden, who resigned as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach after emails surfaced from about 10 years back in correspondence with former Washington football team exec Bruce Allen, contained numerous racist, anti-LGBTQ and misogynistic language, so egregious, in fact, uh, as he falls from grace pretty significantly, a guy who you could say was actually one of the faces of football, right? When he served as the Monday Night Football color analyst and basically was the heir apparent to John Madden as an announcer and then transitions back into head coaching uh, for a $100 million 10-year contract. This guy is maybe outside of Bill Belichick, the most recognizable and famous coaching entity there is in football. Uh, And so for this to happen, this is certainly significant. And people are going to talk about how he got canceled. And this is another indication, an example of cancel culture. Uh, But for a guy who sold his personality and his persona in the way that he did to represent something that these emails contradicted, how did that hit you? In other words, Jordan, what the bleep? Yeah, I I think that is a, um, an appropriate reaction to all of that right because we were just so dumbfounded by it right and and look if you're going to scream cancel culture and all that kinds of stuff uh you like i I don't know if you're really worthy to be part of the conversation and i just don't think you get it um the the initial email about demora smith going back to the 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 lockout or the the labor negotiations of like 2011 or something like that uh proved to just be the tip of the iceberg Right. And, and there was a, a warranted conversation just around that singular email. And, the, and then the rest of these emails come out deeply concerning. Right. Because I, I agree with you, like for a guy who was out of coaching for a long time, 
he was as big a personality and recognizable a face when it came to the National Football League because of his time on on Monday Night Football, because of the Gruden quarterback camps, right? The whole Fire Football Coaches Association or whatever his his shtick was, right? And and he was he was getting all the top quarterbacks in, right? And serving as a mentor, basically. I mean, it was made for television, no doubt. Um, but basically, for like a decade, if you were going to be a first round draft pick at quarterback, like you were going into these these you know one week sessions or one day sessions or whatever it was, and and, and we're talking about you know quarterbacks that are of all kinds of different backgrounds, right? And, and so the disheartening part about all of this is. Like, like he's not the only one, right? I mean, he's he's corresponding with others, <laughs> right? It's not like he's speaking this out into the abyss. Maybe not shockingly, but that is the the disturbing part about all of this is it, it kind of you know pulls back the curtain on you know what what probably doesn't surprise a lot of people, right? That that behind closed doors the conversation is much different than it what what it is out in the public, and, and that is that is wrong, and that is just undermining to everything that that a lot of people have worked towards right and the league says it is working towards um you know to varying degrees of of actually following through and so look they've, they've got to really dig into this right and the, the the other aspect of it is the fact that this he wasn't even the subject of the investigation this all has to do with yeah. the washington football team um and so there are a lot of people who are going to get you know exposed for lack of a better term. I mean, we've, you've seen the reports about Adam Schefter and some of his journalistic, um, you know, operations when it came to some, to some stories and things of that nature. And, and so this is obviously a look into what is a larger problem, right. Within sports, within cultures like this, right. Even in exclusive workplaces, right. Whether you're talking about corporate America or you're talking about, you know, sports in a professional level. And so the frustrating part about it is that this is still going on. Right. And, and you could say all oh, these emails are from a decade ago. Well, not all of them. Like there, there's some that are much more recent than that. Um, and, and there was no other choice, but for, for him to be removed from the job, whether by choice, you know, or what, whether by him accepting that and resigning or, or the league stepping in or, or whatnot, like you, you can't lead a locker room when that is how you're talking about players, execs, union representatives, officials. I mean, it was, it was amazing how many things that he checked off the list of just being offensive. And, and so like you, you, you can't be in charge of a franchise um, and, and lead a group of, of men and women that way. It's just, I don't think it works that way. That, that, that can't, that can't continue. And that what the bleep is, is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that was also a reaction to how the Raiders played this past weekend against your Chicago bears. And, and you have to imagine, you have to assume that all of this calamity that's occurring behind the scenes played into that, right? I mean, a, a mistrust, how, if you're the head coach, do you address the very diverse roster that you have, right? You have people of color, you have uh, the only current openly gay football player in the NFL as one of your key contributors on the defensive line on this roster. And so, you know, when you have uh, this evidence of sort of a very nefarious line of thinking, uh, the way you you view the world. And yes, this was 10 years ago. And and I do think that that when it comes to, quote unquote, cancel culture, uh, there is a missing piece uh, with regard to people being able to improve, right, and, and to get better as human beings. But that said, this is a guy who was living fat, right? He was the face in many instances of the NFL, of the sport. And so to have a connection to, and when you look at some of the things that were said, to have a connection to that kind of world viewpoint, yeah, it, it undermines that considerably. The three rules of broadcasting that my father, Jim Leahy, bestowed on me, which is always be yourself, always tell the truth, and never trust broadcast management, which is the most important, but we'll leave that one on the side. The first two are key here, though, right? Uh, it is in many ways in line with a lot of various industry positions, including coaching, I think. You have to be yourself. You have to find your voice as a coach, and you have to tell the truth because that is connected to your credibility. And in this instance, who John Gruden was and who we perceived him to be 
absolutely flew out the window based on these emails. And that then impacts his ability to tell the truth, right? His ability to convey honesty and that affects his credibility. And when you're a coach, your own voice, your credibility, that, that's kind of everything that you have, especially at the pro level where you have players who are making as much or more money than you. Uh, it is that much more of a thin line in trying to maintain that level of credibility and respect. Uh, but yeah, John Gruden, man, what the bleep. All right, our next What the Bleep topic, uh, it's Kyrie Irving, man, in a veritable game of chicken with both the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets over the vaccine mandate. Irving has, as of now, declined to be vaccinated and per rules in the state of New York, uh, would not be allowed to play in home games as an unvaccinated player. He is currently not participating in any form with the team. He took to Instagram Live to present his side in what was, I think you can agree, a somewhat convoluted monologue where he declared that he wasn't either anti-vax or pro-vax but wanted to, as he put it, use his platform, presumably to make a statement against the mandate. Reports are now coming out about a possible trade involving Irving. And there is speculation that even Kevin Durant, who sort of created this whole scenario in Brooklyn with him and his good buddy Kyrie Irving, that even KD isn't necessarily unwilling to sign off on a deal uh, because of all of this stuff that's surrounding Kyrie Irving. So how the tables have turned over there is pretty eye-popping. But I think this sort of quasi-faux-activist type of stance that Kyrie is trying to present, right? Uh, you even had Stefan Marbury who's saying, Ali would be proud of Kyrie Irving and the stance that he's taking. It's like, Muhammad Ali did commercials for vaccines back in the day. Like, he was promoting students to get vaccines. Uh, and even when you go into the deeper layers, it's just a lot of confusion here when it comes to Kyrie and this stance. And so it leads you to ask the question, what the bleep? Yeah, Kyrie is this guy. He's he's like an enigma, right? Because, look, I will acknowledge he has done a lot of selfless things, right? He has donated to a, a number of causes. Like, he has been a big proponent of women's basketball and indigenous rights and, and uh, you know, social justice. And, and he has put his money where his mouth is on a, on a lot of those issues. Um, but it, it, I just, it is hard to follow sometimes what his message is, right? What exactly he is trying to get across. And, and yeah, it is, I think, a, a larger question and a larger issue, as, as you sort of touched on there, that, that a lot of these folks that are coming at this vaccine thing for, or the mandate thing from, from an angle that conflates it with, with social issues that, that really don't have anything to do with it or past historical social issues, such as, you know, the Vietnam War, you know, things like that with, with Muhammad Ali. And, and it, it just like, it, they're not the same, right? And so it's, it gets all muddied, it gets all lost. And, and it's just hard for me, right, to, to, to kind of follow where Kyrie is coming from because he's quiet at times and then and then he tries to seize moments you know whether it's via Instagram live to to go ahead and, and sort of tell his side of the story when there are all these you know anonymous reports of folks within his circle that are saying contradictory things and he's sort of pushing back on those comments but not outright denying them and so it's just a whole lot of confusion and at the end of the day the mandate's not going away there is legal basis for it. It is the prerogative of these municipalities as well as these businesses to say, hey, look, this is what we're requiring to work in certain settings, to work for certain businesses. And it is also your prerogative to say that you're not going to do it, right? And, and if that's the case, and the Nets have made the decision basically to say, hey, we're moving on. There is a way for you to play basketball, right? There is a path for you to play basketball. And if you're not against it, then, then why not just go ahead? You can still get it and advocate. Like there are all these things. It's, I just, it's hard for me to follow Kyrie's train of argument. I guess that, that and maybe I just don't get it. Maybe, maybe that's the case, but I think for the Nets and, and it's pretty black and white in terms of what it would take for him to be part of the team, right. And to play the majority of the games and he is choosing not to do it. And so you got to move on. Yeah, I think Emmanuel Acho of, of Fox Sports characterized Kyrie as being, I believe, I'm not sure if this is verbatim, but I believe he said uh, that Kyrie Irving is a contrarian without cause or a contrarian without purpose. 
And that really does seem to describe him. And I, good on you for pointing out some of the good that he has done. He has, I think, uh, participated in what can be described as philanthropy on a lot of levels, right? Um, this is a guy who even subsidized salaries in the WNBA uh, so that they could pay all the players and, and stay afloat. And, and this is a guy who's done a lot of good in that way for the community around him. But in this sense, uh, I think Emmanuel Acho kind of nails it. You look at the whole flat earther thing. You know, you look at what he's trying to paint himself as now. And yeah, he's, he's sort of this contrary that's just kind of floating around trying to find any reason to support why he's doing what he's doing, as opposed to having the reason A, that leads to his position B. It's almost as if he found the position first and is just absolutely wildly pulling at any kind of possible justification for being in the position and, and, and taking the stance that he has taken. Uh, and I think that that just undermines some of the, we talk about undermined credibility, that undermines some of the credibility in what he is trying to say. Uh, and then it just becomes this whole word salad. And I think all it does is, is serve to confuse uh, and contribute to some of the misinformation fodder that's out there too. So yeah, this is this is a tough one, man. This is, uh, this is a tough one for Kyrie Irving from a basketball standpoint, not exactly being and representing himself as a very good teammate either. And, and I think that's the thing that is maybe as head scratching as any other aspect of this. Uh, when uh, Kevin Durant isn't necessarily coming to your rescue publicly, and that's supposed to be your boy. And the reason you guys are both even in Brooklyn in the first place, uh, that's probably telling you something. So what the bleep. All right, we switch over for our last what the bleep topic. And that is Giants, Dodgers, game five, thrilling, unprecedented series comes down to a check swing finish. Wilmer Flores was called out on a check swing against Max Scherzer in the decisive game five of that divisional series matchup. The first time those two teams ever formally met in the postseason. Confirmed by first base umpire Gabe Morales as a swing, even though replays appeared to clearly show that Flores had not gone around. But check swing rulings are judgment calls and not reviewable. So all that drama, what was a fantastic and competitive game five of a fantastic and highly anticipated matchup of these two longtime rivals. And I know that this is going to hurt Senator Gil Keith Agaron very much talking about the result of this thing. Uh, but the way it finished, Jordan, what the bleep was that? Yeah, I, I will say after uh, pushing back on Senator Keith Agaron earlier, <laughs> I got to give him a lot of credit because on Twitter, he was very gracious. He was. After this loss, right? I, I know a lot of other Giants fans that were much less diplomatic, <laughs> who, who just had a lot to say on Twitter. Uh, and so I, I, I tip my cap to you, Gil, because you handled that with aplomb. And I, I, I was very impressed. Yeah, it was, it was one of those. I was actually flying over to Oahu, um, working some football games this weekend. And basically, our plane leaves. It's like going to the bottom of the ninth. And I'm like, all right, I'll probably miss all of this, and, and we'll see how it ends. And then I get... You know, I, I, we land in Honolulu and, and I'm, I check my phone and obviously I get the notification. The Dodgers win. Scherzer comes in, gets the save in the ninth inning. And then I'm scrolling Twitter and I'm like, wow, well, it was was this a bad call? Like I was kind of, you know, I, I see a bunch of the, the, the tweets. Everybody's tweeting about the call, the check swing. Like I see the video and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. Right. It's like, you know, it's borderline Giants fans are going to obviously have one opinion. Dodgers fans are going to have one opinion and it's probably somewhere in the middle. And then I saw the video and my reaction was, uh Oh, it wasn't quite what the bleep, but I was like, Oh yeah, that, 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 that I could see a lot of people being angry with. Yeah. That to end the series on that one and, and credit to the umpiring crew. Right. I think a, a bunch of guys spoke to it and said, Hey, look, that's what I saw. I, I saw him go around and I called him for it. And, and it's like, well, if, if that's what he saw, that's what he saw, right? And he could be blatantly wrong, but if he's being honest and I think it humanizes the moment a little bit, but it was, yeah, you, 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 you just can't. Like that, a series cannot end like that. It's not like it was a, a safe out call at first that they win the game if he's safe, they lose if he's out. It wasn't quite that. And so I I, I don't think it was the most egregious, but yeah, on a, on a check swing call, like just, just let the guys decide it, right? I mean, Especially because yeah. it, it wasn't that close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be sure, right? If you're going to make that kind of yeah. call, you got to be sure. But here we are again. 
And when we talk about baseball umpiring, right, and how the technology has passed what the umpires have to work with. And so in this instance, we see that replay from the dugout camera and it's like, oh, yeah, no, Flores did not go around. But then you have to think about the umpire is not at that same angle. He's up the first baseline and it's a bit of a different angle and you know it still is something these guys are experienced as postseason umpiring crew they should have seen a bunch of these kinds of check swings throughout their careers and they should be sure if they are going to punch somebody out but that said here we are again and you have to ask the question do, do you start trying to infuse more technology into the game do you do you make even check swings something that's more reviewable do you use more mechanical or robotic type of umpiring tools uh it, it just we always find our way back here because i think that's the dichotomy that's the issue right now the conundrum with baseball is the fact that you have the human element of the umpires right but you also have technology that benefits those of us watching at home more than it benefits the umpires who actually have an impact on the results of the game so here we are again man and what are we going to do about it i don't know what the bleep all right, and that's it for. Uh, did you like that segment, by the way? Or are we? Uh, you thinking we should keep that around every now? Yeah, and then? I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, hot topics. Yeah, we we uh, we definitely like talking about uh, the controversial stuff as much as possible. Which leads us to our final segment, uh, which is a little bit more in traditional fashion, and that is our post game. Best and Worst, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. Now, let's start with our worsts and end on positive notes. Uh, what is your worst here for this episode of Let's Talk Sports? Yeah, my worst uh, uh, somber note, uh, I just wanted to send um, some some aloha to the family of uh, Mane Mafatini, a uh, young man who, who just recently passed away, a uh, 2021 Baldwin graduate, uh, you know, obviously tragically young, was playing collegiate football up in Utah, junior college, uh, a guy that, that, that I gotten to know, uh, we, we uh, he came through the basketball program at Baldwin, where I, I helped as, as an assistant coach, and, and just a terrific kid, and uh, tragically passed away in a, a single car accident uh, the other weekend up in Utah. So I just wanted to send uh, some, some aloha to his family. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got a great family, great support system, and, and they've, they've handled this really admirably. So, yeah, just, uh, just wanted to send a quick note uh, uh, out uh, via the podcast. Uh, really sad news the other week. Yeah, I'll second that. Uh, well said. And uh, kudos all, also to Rob Coleus had a recent article in the Maui News uh, talking about, you know, ironically, we are going to see the start of OIA football, MIL football here. And uh, so uh, he had a story about Baldwin and uh, the participation that they're getting here this year coming off of the pandemic athletic season uh, and how they are going to be playing uh, with their former fallen teammate in their hearts and how they're embarking on this season's campaign with heavy hearts and a lot of emotion there. So uh, a well-written uh, piece of material there from Rob Coleus and uh, I think a great shout out on your part. Uh, I will switch over to my worst and uh, we're going to go up the coast a little bit uh, into Pullman, Washington. Yes, we're going to cross through the Palouse and we're going to talk about our old buddy, former University of Hawaii head football coach Nick Rolovich. And that situation at Washington State, which uh, has been written about immensely, uh, the deadline for the state-enacted COVID vaccination in Washington is Monday. Uh, Washington State is playing pretty well, actually, here. Consecutive wins over Cal and Oregon State the last couple of weeks. They're 3-3 three and three overall on the season. Uh, their offense is starting to put up numbers behind quarterback Jaden Delora. They have Stanford coming up this Saturday, so it's going to be a very tough one. Uh, but Rolovich has asked for a religious exemption uh, from having to get the vaccine and the response on that could mean i mean there is a scenario that could play out if he does not get vaccinated and does not get granted this exemption it could mean that saturday would be his last game for the time being at least coaching for washington state who knows what's going to happen now this thing got a little messy this week you had that usa today article that had june jones rolo's former coach making comments revealing details about the situation seemed to catch nick rolovich off guard he made a comment about it uh it's an all-around messy type of situation here and so that's why it's my worst i think the the issue is how conflicting and contradictory rolo's stance is 
to that institution and certainly these now state guidelines and requirements. It's just something if, if Nick Rolovich is going to dig his heels in uh, on this thing and if he's not going to be granted this exception, which apparently would possibly be challenged by virtue of the fact that he is a football coach and has to work in the capacity that he does in, in large numbers. It's not as though he's isolated in an office or a cubicle somewhere. Uh, and so I think that that makes the exemption all the more challenging to grant. But if he digs his heels in any further here come Monday, uh, I, I don't know if this is something that can end well. And so I'm a little concerned for Nick Rolovich from that standpoint. Uh, I think obviously when you talk about college football, uh, while it seems trivial, there is a competitive advantage now to getting the vaccine. And I think you see a lot of coaches who are very Neanderthal in their thinking on, on uh, most issues, but even they have come around to this thing and recognize, all right, you know, we are risking too much competitively by not just going along with the vaccinations or the vaccine mandates. Uh, and so I, I get, I'm concerned for Nick Rolovich on that front, in addition to just what this overall messaging uh, also involves, uh, and and certainly that contradiction in stance between himself and that institution. It's a research institution, uh, and so that's a tough one, tough place for Rolla to be here, and that's why it's my worst. Yeah, I think it's fair to point out, right? It, it is. It is a competitive advantage in, in football. It can be very cut and dry, right? It's like, look, we're we're guys do anything to, to get a competitive advantage, right? And and in this situation, it is one of those. If if you just boil it down to that. Yeah, it's a messy situation all around. I was I was quite surprised to see the the June Jones comments in that USA Today interview. Um, you know, I I I, I got to imagine it was you know June trying to be a you know trying to work it where he's he's trying to get his message across right. And and obviously we we saw some of the comments from from Rolo and he didn't necessarily appreciate that. So I don't know if it's going to work in terms of you know getting him to take the vaccine, which which seemed to be the the message that, that that June was putting out there and and kind of talking about how it's you know it's it's a whole lot more right if if you lose your job the guys that work under you their jobs are all of a sudden in jeopardy right and and everybody on that coaching staff and and the kids that you've brought in and the guys that you've given scholarships to a new staff comes in those aren't guaranteed it, it's a there there is a huge domino effect um to this and and I'm not saying that that, that Rolo doesn't isn't aware of that or doesn't recognize that um but that is the reality of the situation, right? And 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 he's a smart guy. He's a smart enough guy. He he knows that. I I I'm pretty confident that he realizes everything that can kind of continue on if if he's no longer to con- able to continue as head coach there at Washington State. But yeah, that that does kind of speak to the the magnitude of of this decision, right? It, it's it goes well beyond just the head coach. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the challenge of Stanford on Saturday and then the challenge of the deadline for this vaccine on Monday uh, could be a doozy of a weekend for Rolo. All right, let's snake it around to our best. We can end on a positive note here. I'll start with my best. And that was the heavyweight fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. It was the third part of this trilogy matchup. Uh, And it really went down as one of the best heavyweight fights that I've ever seen. A slugfest from beginning to end. We had both fighters getting knocked down at different stages. It was ultimately won by Tyson Fury by virtue of a knockout in the 11th round. Uh, It is my best because, you know, in the day of of MMA and and certainly the dominance that is UFC uh, and the popularity of that sport as a pay-per-view event, you know, we've seen boxing, even though it's still huge dollars, huge money, you still have some mega matchups at times, but we have seen it sort of dissolve a little bit into the background at different stages. Uh, UFC, I think, especially for certain demographics and younger people, uh, has taken on the headliner role on the marquee, Uh, but it just goes to show there is still intrigue there is still such great entertainment value when you do have a classic boxing matchup in the heavyweight division this freak of nature that is Deontay Wilder as impressive of a specimen as you'll ever see going up against this 6'9 frothy ogre in Tyson Fury who punches like an absolute scientist in the boxing ring it's just unbelievable stuff and and so uh, i really appreciated just kind of uh, uh hearkening back to the golden days of boxing and some of those uh, awesome classic heavyweight bouts uh, this was one of them man it, it's it's up there with the best that i've ever seen so uh, that's my best did you see it yeah it was great 
It was it was wildly entertaining. That was one of the best fights I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so good, right? And and I was like, okay, I want to watch this, but after the last fight, where Fury just kind of gave Deontay Wilder lickings, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't super close. Um, I got to give Deontay Wilder a ton of credit. Like he came out, he, it, he was a, a, just tough as nails, and he put up like a, an incredible effort. And it's just. You know, Tyson Fury's that good. Like the dude is that good. And they put each other down multiple times. Like, you know, there were I, I thought I thought it was the early rounds, I thought it was gonna be like the last fight. I thought Fury was gonna make quick work of him, maybe even shorter than thrown in the towel in the seventh round, and then and then he drops Fury, and then he go back and forth, and then he finally fit like it it had everything from the the walkouts to the lead, I mean the the lead up, the trash talk, the walkouts, the fight itself how it played out, how tough these two dudes are, man. Yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing like a heavyweight championship boxing fight. There's just, there's just nothing like it. And, and you could talk about, right, like, like an Nganu and a, a Stipe or something like that, right, in, 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 in the UFC. But what makes it beautiful is also that those fights sometimes last a couple minutes, right? Like they're, they're over in the blink of an eye, whereas – you get in these heavyweight boxing matchups and all of a sudden it goes 10 rounds, it lasts, you see these guys. It is, it is amazing. There's just, just nothing like it in sports, like nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was a Rocky movie, that fight. It was, it was unreal. And, uh, and yeah, lived up to the billing. The domestic pay-per-view numbers were maybe a little bit on the low end, a little disappointing overall, uh, but that thing internationally, uh, it went bananas and, and people ate it up. And, and yeah, it just, again, it, it harkens back to a, a more glorious day uh, in the sport of boxing. It was fun to see. All right. What's your best? Take us out. Yeah, my best. Uh, uh, going back to the state of Washington, although they're not playing in Washington, the Seattle Kraken, my new adopted team, uh, the hockey team from Seattle, uh, going up to uh, watch a, a game in a, a later this month. But they got their first win yesterday against Nashville. Uh, which is always a tough place to play, at least the hockey people tell me. Um, so, yeah, go Kraken. Just a little quick best to get us out of here. No, I love it. I'm a lifelong Kraken fan. I've been on them since day one, ever since my yeah. buddy Jordan Helly got me a hat, yeah. uh, brought it back from Seattle. So, yeah, uh, I'm Kraken from the beginning to the end, baby. That's right. That's right. All right, that does it for our best and worst. Uh, of course, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui, owned Maui, operated for Maui's people. What you got this weekend, Jordan? Uh, got some uh, OIA football for the first time in two years. Yay! Uh, Kapolei and Kahuku tonight. This is Friday uh, as we record this. Yeah, it's uh, on Spectrum XCast, so check that out. Uh, it, you know, just flip back and forth between that and Wahine Volleyball. Boom, there you go. Yeah, I got you, University of Hawaii, Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, uh, in a battle with their arch nemesis in the Big West Conference in Cal Poly tonight. It's Friday night, as you mentioned at the time of this recording. Uh, and then they uh, finish up this weekend's homestand against Bakersfield Saturday on Spectrum Sports. All right, so good weekend in front of us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. We'll do it again soon. Enjoy Oahu, my man. Thanks, man. <laughs>